Hey everyone, this is Will from Beijing, China, and welcome to this brand new and important episode of The Missing Piece. If you follow the news lately, not only the world continues to watch the ongoing tension between Russia and Ukraine. However, this year, for the country of China, and also it's a significant milestone, come to think of it, from this economic perspective, China this year is going to officially celebrate the 10-year anniversary for one of the major and economic international projects. It's called Belt and Road Initiative, or also most people would say it, a Belt and Road Project. Again, if you follow the report, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement has come into force for one of the critical countries in Asia, which is Malaysia recently. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our special guest, and his name is Tess Hugh. And Tess Hugh is the Chief Executive Officer of Hiwon International Business Consulting, and he has been living in China for many years. And of course, previously that he traveled internationally between China specifically and Malaysia to offering consultation not only to business in Malaysia but also across the world. Tess, welcome to the missing piece. Thank you, Will, for that uh, kind introduction. You're welcome, uh, Tess. Now. Absolutely. Now, let's get to the question right away. Again, as I mentioned before, Malaysia joined one of the critical economic partnership, but the full name is called Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. Can you share with us a little bit how significant is it for Malaysia to join this economic package or economic partnership? And what does that look like in the long run? Um, well, I guess uh, a little bit background on the LCEP. Uh, the LCEP is the new uh, uh, economic uh, partnership mm. that was put in place after the TPP was uh, kind of like uh, discarded by the mm. US, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And so uh, after that was not in effect anymore, that's where the LCEP came about. And Malaysia became ratified uh, in the RCEPS of March the 18th. In uh, as far as uh, how important the RCEP is to Malaysia, I guess uh, the RCEP consists of the ASEAN countries, the Southeast Asian countries, which uh, of which one of the founding members was Malaysia. Mm. And um, of course, uh, as we see the rise of uh, Asia in this 21st century, uh, we uh, we believe I believe that uh, it's very important uh, for Malaysia to be part of the RCEP uh, as long uh, as well as part of the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, of course, Malaysia and China has um, historical ties that go mm. back uh, many hundred years. Yeah, um, and. Um, Malacca, which is part of Malaysia, is one of the most important trading posts uh, about uh, six, seven hundred years ago, of which one of the Chinese uh, voyages, Zhenghe, uh, uh, also came to Malaysia, Malacca, mm. in the early 15th century. Yeah, so, so, so China and Malaysia has a very long trading history. 
and its cultures are also interconnected because in Malaysia, most of the Chinese population uh, migrated uh, to Malaysia from mm. Fujian, Guangdong, or Hainan from about 100 to 120 years ago. So like for myself, I'm also Chinese by ethnicity. My ancestors are from Guangdong and Fujian. So as a result, I think uh, this uh, coming back to uh, uh, having this RCEP is uh, is very important to Malaysia because uh, Malaysia is a small country, yeah, only 33, 34 million people. Mm. And uh, we are unable to afford to negotiate good trade terms on our own. But uh, China has been Malaysia's largest uh, trade partner for the last 10 years, at least the last 10 years. And uh, its uh, trade uh, between China and Malaysia has exceeded U.S. the 100 billion since mm. 2015, mm. at least. Uh, but of course, with the pandemic and other things uh, that I play, uh, the amount uh, probably is reduced now, but uh, Malaysia is still uh, the largest uh, single country within Southeast Asia mm. that ties with China. And of course, the ties between Malaysia and China go way back to 1974. Malaysia was the first country in Southeast Asia to establish uh, diplomatic ties with China. So mm. as a result, there's a lot of friendship, there's a lot of uh, goodwill between Malaysia and China that stretches back uh, uh, so many years, mm. almost 40 over years, almost 50 years. We'll celebrate the 50th anniversary of uh, diplomatic ties in two years' time in 2024. Mm. So, so to answer your question, it is uh, very vital and uh, for Malaysia to be a part of this RCEP. You know, Tess, one thing, oh, of course, that many things that you mentioned, and I couldn't agree with you more, but one thing that we can trace all the way back, and you're right, that the relationship, especially this economic partnership between China and Malaysia, can actually be dated back years ago. And even before the pandemic, and we know that there are many international commodities were being transferred and from China to Malaysia and also from Malaysia to across the world. But again, let's go back to the beginning is something that really caught the attention of this market today. It's called a free trade agreement. You know, I think, Tez, again, you as a business consultant and you have a better idea in terms of explaining and understanding this. What does that mean today? Once Malaysia got admitted into this um, RCEP, a partnership, it actually boosted this free trade agreement. So number one, what does that mean, free trade agreement? And number two, and again, how does that benefit Malaysia in a more specific way? And it's not just about business. And I think we're going to look beyond the picture a little bit more, right? I think uh, first and foremost, I mean, whenever there's a free trade agreement in place, uh, of course, uh, trade between countries always have some certain amount of tariffs or certain amount of uh, taxes uh, and levied upon uh, the goods that are being imported or exported. But being part of the RCEP, of course, there's a list of uh, goods and services 
uh, that will be over time uh, be given a preferential tax rate tariffs, and uh, some may be uh, tax free. So I guess uh, what that's uh, in the sense of the word going forward. Uh, what it means is that cost of doing business uh, and 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 the availability of uh, goods and services between both countries over time will become more affordable. And uh, of course, uh, with all this uh, tariffs uh, reductions and tax reductions, it will also be a catalyst for more trade and more businesses. Uh, Particularly, I believe SME business, small and medium-sized enterprises, that will have more interaction between the both the countries, and uh, it also augurs well because uh, Malaysia is one of the countries outside of China with a large Chinese population, and uh, also the population of Malaysia. Uh, a lot of them uh, are also learning Chinese, and and language will not be a barrier. So, and then there's cultural similarities. So, in that sense, uh, going forward, the ratification of Malaysia into RCEP is a positive step forward. Uh, there are already existing many Chinese companies that are already operating in Malaysia, notably all the big companies, the phone companies like Huawei, like Vivo, Oppo, mm. and now. So many Chinese companies that is already entrenched into the Malaysian economy, but mm. with this new RCEP deal, I foresee that there'll be much more SMEs mm. uh, uh, that will go in between both the countries. So, so it's a step forward. Mm. You know, Ted, it's, it's so interesting that you just use the word "cult." It's a step forward. You know, uh, based on the report. 2020, I would say that was one of the devastating years for human history because that was basically the the climax of the entire pandemic. And countries such as China and suffered greatly, you know, especially for private enterprises, you know, small business owners and it really cornered them in a way that we have to learn or I mean the world had to learn how to survive in the midst of the limitations. Now again, based on the report in the year of 2020, China was reported to gain this economic advantages by 3%. So in other words, when the world was slowing down, China was actually trying to move forward. Now, Ted, before we get to Belt and Road Initiative, I want to ask you, how does China's this economic continuation uh, uh, development benefits countries such as Malaysia? You know, given this fact that you mentioned the countries of in ASEAN, you know, we're looking at Cambodia, we're looking at Vietnam and Philippines and, of course, Malaysia, all these countries. So how do you think that China's economic growth could actually benefit other countries, especially the neighboring economic partners in Asia? Um, well, I guess, uh, of course, uh, first and foremost, uh, China, of course, uh, managed to get through and recover very quickly because of the strict um, uh, measures that were taken into effect. Uh, mm. I was living through the pandemic. Mm. I was in the north of Xinjiang, but um, things got into control very fast. I still remember the time when it was the second day of Chinese New Year and this news just broke out. And then, but very soon within, say, I would say three to four months, mm. things were back to 
you kind of like normal and things were under control. Uh, and, um, and, and that enabled um, economic growth. Mm. No doubt, I mean, uh, it was a setback. Uh, we only, China only grew by 3%, but still, I mean, the base is huge. And 3% is huge growth. Mm. In 2020, given the expenses. And um, I think uh, all this, uh, and what the pandemic really did was accelerate the adoption of uh, digitalization of everything. Mm. Yeah? And, uh, and this is something that China has done very well. Uh, in addition to that, of course, uh, there are many industries that suffered. But of course, uh, there are many industries that uh, took advantage and pivoted and uh, and moved ahead. Um, and how that would uh, benefit countries like Malaysia and other countries, I would think that uh, the learnings uh, of uh, pandemic control measures and uh, as yeah. So uh, as a result, uh, I would uh, say that all these learnings that China has learned uh, is uh, something that they can share with the world, uh, especially with the Belt and Road countries, uh, of which now there's about 150. Uh, four or five years ago, uh, well, there was only 65 or 67 mm. uh, back in 2017. Five years now, the number has doubled. Yeah. Uh, when uh, Argentina came for the Winter Olympics, they signed in as the 144th country. That's right. The Belt and Road, and now nearly about 150. So, with 150 signed, you are talking about three quarters of the world having mm. is on the uh, Belt and Road uh, uh, bandwagon, if you will. Mm. So, all these learnings, I guess, uh, with uh, with China's uh, leading. Uh, the world, I would say, in terms of controlling this pandemic, that that will allow China to have a great uh, influence going forward post-pandemic, mm. uh, transition into a new normal. And, and all these learnings uh, can, of course, be transferred. And uh, over the course of the last 40 years, we have seen uh, China accelerating her progress. Mm. And, uh, Another area is the, the alleviating of poverty. Yeah, I mean, uh, we just finished the two sessions, and one of the big highlights was the alleviation of poverty. That's right. Over the last 10 years, 8 million people have been lifted out of poverty. And That's now right. it's almost, you know, considered uh, eradicated. So, mm. so those are learnings that I guess China can share. With the world, I mean, aside from trade, aside from economic uh, uh, issues, uh, there's a whole lot more, I guess, that uh, that can be uh, shared with the world. Mm. You know, Tess, let's talk about one of the issues that we address at the beginning. It's the Belt and Road Initiative. You know, again, as I mentioned in the intro, this year, the year of 2022, actually is the 10th year anniversary for the project. You know, at the beginning, yeah. China was having, you know, it, if I can be honest, China was facing major hurdles in terms of inviting international allies or partners to join this project because initially it was rather difficult for many country leaders to grasp what the project is about. That's number one. Number two is, you know, nobody could predict 
five or six or ten years later that the pandemic would actually take a toll on the world. So I know Malaysia, again, is the strategic economic partner with China. So can you share with us a little bit that how does Malaysia link to China under this Belt and Road Initiative? And meanwhile, how does that benefit Malaysia in the long run, especially in terms of this domestic and international uh, economic connection? Go ahead. Hmm. I think, of course, uh, Malaysia was one of the earlier countries to have uh, joined the Belt and Road uh, Initiative. Mm. Yes, you are right. Initially, it was uh, pretty difficult to convince people to join in uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. And of course, uh, over the years, uh, you know, I was actually involved in a 2016 event where where we held a Belt and Road, uh, or back then we called it a One Belt, One Road mm. uh, yeah. And uh, we had uh, people from, because Malaysia and China, we have a uh, industrial park in uh, Guangxi. Mm. It's called the CMQIP, which is the China-Malaysia Qingzhou Industrial Park. Mm. And similarly in Malaysia, there's a uh, MCKIP, which is the uh, Malaysia-China Kwantan Industrial Park. Mm. So it's a it's a bilateral kind of like exchange, and uh, and of course uh, going uh, and of course uh, back then uh, in 2016, uh, it was a good time to hold it because in 2015, Malaysia for the first time with Malaysia and China for the first time uh, uh, breached the threshold of. US 100 billion mm. trade, both ways. Yeah. And um, back then, uh, and I, be, I believe even right now, there's a trade deficit that, uh, that, that, is, uh, that is also there. But uh, of course, um, uh, Malaysia plays a very strategic role uh, in China's uh, development and, Malay and China into Malaysia as well. Yeah. And um, so, so there's this industrial park that is uh, that that is uh, that 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 there's an agreement, and then uh, over and on top of that, uh, Malaysian companies have always uh, invested very early on mm. into China. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the first, not one of the first, the first five-star hotel in China uh, when. Deng Xiaoping opened up China, was mm. built by a Malaysian, the China World Mall, yeah, and in cooperation with Walmart. So, so and their partnership runs to today. So, so the ties really uh, between China and Malaysia go a long way. Mm. And uh, of course, going forward, there's a lot of uh, still sharing and learning to be uh, learned between both uh, countries. As the whole world is continuing watching the tension or the conflict between Russia and Ukraine right now. You know, we are coming into almost the fourth week. It's like it's been a month and the devastation should not be underestimated. But meanwhile, people are looking at the countries in Asia, especially in Southeast, uh, Southeast Asia. How do you think that this ongoing conflict could or might have impacted 
on the nation on Asia, especially in Southeast Asia, you know, country as Vietnam, Cambodia, Philippines, and Laos and Malaysia. So you as a Malaysian and you as a business consultant, how do you think that this war could might have impact on the country such as Malaysia? I think, I mean, of course, the war has already, we're already seeing its initial impacts in terms of uh, petrol or gas prices rising to unprecedented levels. Um, in China, it's breaching 9 yuan per liter. In the US, we're mm. talking about 5 US dollars per gallon. Uh, of course, uh, uh, and then, of course, the immediate effects is that uh, countries in Europe, which is very dependent on Russian gas, mm. uh, like Germany. Half of their gas necessities are from Russia. Now there's a, you know, it's cut off. So given the situation, I think, of course, uh, the initial in, uh, effects of the price of the war, I believe it's not so much felt at that moment in Southeast Asia yet, as of yet. But of course, uh, the longer the war continues, then of course, the effects of it has to trickle down. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing hyperinflation happening in the U.S. Mm. Yeah? I mean, recently, the U.S. that U.S. is having the highest inflation numbers in 40 years. Yeah, and, um, and, and of course, in Europe, things will be the same. And then in, in addition to inflation, the countries that are bordering Ukraine, like Poland, like Hungary, like uh, Moldova, and these Eastern European countries, they have to deal with the influx of two, over 2.5 million uh, war refugees at the moment. That's and right. And the number continues to rise, right? So, so, so I would say that, of course, the effects will be felt in Southeast Asia, Malaysia, but uh, at the present moment, uh, the only thing that we see is probably uh, in the areas of petrol prices, but because Malaysia is herself a petrol uh, producing country mm. with subsidies, so currently the prices are still under control. But of course, uh, over and above uh, the initial um, setbacks and shocks that are placed into the global system, you will see that, uh, of course, uh, as we continue, because the whole world is uh, depend is based on the swift financial system. That's right. And now, uh, with with, uh, with with all these big companies uh, pulling out of Russia, uh, with with them saying that they will pull Russia off the swift system, so so this also gives an opportunity for China itself with its uh, CIPS system. Mm. And of course, the recently launched digital renminbi, the ECNY. So are we going to see a change in terms of a new world reserve currency? We don't know. It's mm. too early to tell. But of course, if, uh, if push comes to shove and Russia really gets uh, taken out of the SWIFT system, this will give the opportunity for the CIPS system that China has developed mm. uh, to, 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 to have a test bed. Yeah, because uh, a lot of countries will probably, a lot of countries already have bilateral settlement agreements. Mm. Uh, China and Russia already has it in place since at least eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, uh, of course, uh, the world, because uh, SWIFT is in place because the U.S. dollar, the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency. 
But are we going to see a change going forward? Yeah, we don't know. And then over on top of this uh, uh, SWIFT and uh, uh, financial system, there's now the rise of digital currency and cryptocurrency that is also coming on stream very mm. fast over these past two years. So that's another thing that uh, is thrown into the mix. Mm. So uh, it will be interesting to see the couple of years uh, going ahead. And uh, and of course, the whole world is also in anticipation that China uh, will, uh, within the next, I would say within the next five to six years, be the largest uh, GDP country in the world. Not on a per capita basis, but on a total country basis. On a per capita basis, China has still a long way to go to catch up with the more mature economies. But but then uh, it's already, I mean, it's, it's a given that it, it will have to happen. Mm. And one 